You're listening to Talking Tricks, the home of amazing stories from magic, circus, variety and comedy performers. Hello and welcome to Talking Tricks, a podcast presented by us, Kane and Abel, two magicians with the exact same voice. Well, here we are at the Adelaide Fringe Festival. It's been a pretty busy and crazy festival so far and for that reason, these podcasts are coming, yes, weekly, but on slightly weird days we're trying to keep up with what there is in the uk and also australia but it's a bit hard but don't worry we are keeping to our promise of getting you some amazing interviews whilst we're out there but we're also trying to you know succeed at this festival it's a tough festival but it's a really enjoyable festival and we're really enjoying performing for all the audiences we are and growing and expanding and we're going to be here for the next few weeks performing every day for Adelaide audiences and meeting great people and yes we're burning the candle at both ends we're going out after our shows having a few drinks and enjoying ourselves and it's a great city and for that reason this intro isn't particularly long but we will just tell you that coming up in a minute on Talking Tricks is Maggie Fame. And she's going to be telling us all about her show, FML, Fuck My Life. The show, it's an amazing show. Maggie is a magician's daughter. She is a magician's girlfriend. They are different people. Don't worry, that would have been weird. And she's also created an amazing show, an amazing circus, an amazing physical theatre show. And it's completely different and unique and unlike anything else on at this festival. And I really hope the show continues to grow and grow and tours the world and that you can all see it. And that's coming up for you right now. Joining us now on Talking Tricks is Maggie Fain, writer, producer, performer of Fuck My Life, the show. She joins us at the end of her Adelaide run, halfway through the festival now. Maggie, how's it gone? Yeah, it went really, really well. It was very successful. And for those that didn't see the show or haven't sort of read up on the show, what is FML all about? So FML is all about uh, really the fact that life can be really shit for everybody, that, but that we have to find the humour in it and just move on. And with regard to kind of what is in the show, this is this is a, a sort of modern contemporary circus mm-hmm. physical theatre show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'd say it's physical theatre and circus. So we have um, a lot of great circus skills, but also a lot of real uh, hard-hitting stories, personal stories about the members of the cast. And um, yeah, we try to just tell our stories through actual words on stage, but also circus tricks. Talk us through the cast then, what each individual member brings, both mm-hmm. with regard to background and mm-hmm. skill set. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Lockie, Lockie Rickus is uh, one of the acrobats in the cast and he actually broke his neck 14 years ago doing circus. So he obviously brings that kind of hard-hitting real-life story of someone who's spent the last 14 years in a wheelchair. Um, he's also a wonderful acrobat and a juggler and a manipulator, so that's kind of the stuff he brings. And then there's Megan, who is a gymnast from America, um, who is very, very, very highly skilled. And she is also a young single parent, so that's kind of the story she brings. And then Jack is the comedy element in the show. So he cuts through all of like the really intense, serious moments with great comedy and clowning and juggling. 
And then we should probably talk about your background and your story yes. and what led to you creating this. Yes. Show. So there's a few things that kind of led to me creating it. Um, when we first came up with the idea for the show, I had recently graduated from circus school and I did a specialty with another person and we spent the three years kind of planning future and work together. And then just before we graduated, he um, took a contract without me. So I was kind of in this really, my life sucks circus is the worst, I never want to do it again mindset. And that's kind of where the idea of the show came from. And then we used also my story. So uh, when I was in my early 20s, my mom killed herself. She had an overdose of uh, painkillers and alcohol. So that was kind of my background story into it. And I suppose, obviously going through something so horrible and horrendous, it could be easy to maybe avoid mm. confronting mm. it did you find have you found any sort of therapy in in writing the show mm. and presenting it to an audience every night yeah yeah absolutely I mean I think my mindset towards tragedy or whatever word you want to use for things in life is you either move on or you don't kind of and I've always found that for me talking about it was the best way um I'm not embarrassed about anything, anything, I don't hide anything. And I've actually found more that talking about it in real life and actually doing the show has helped a lot of other people. There's been a lot of people of friends and even just audience members that I don't know that have seen the show that have been really like, oh, I've been through similar experiences and it's really nice to see someone being so open about it and honest. And yes, yeah, so that's been nice. And I guess sometimes you don't get to find out um, as much about the people that are coming to your show mm. as possible. I know when we've done shows that was about being a twin, mm -hmm. it's obvious when twins come to yeah. the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wonder, do you know if sort of people have been coming to the show because they just want some light entertainment, see some amazing skills, or are people coming because it is tackling tough subjects and actually they're maybe going through something and it mm. helps for them to see mm. that. I think a little bit of both. Um, I think the last, we did it two years ago at Adelaide Fringe and I think that time was a lot more, like people laughed at the name and they thought that was funny and then, um, so they came then, but we've had a lot of people come back after last year to say that, you know, it really moved them and it really helped them and they found it really kind of therapeutic to see it. But I also do think that um, there have been people I know that have come people that are, uh, are in wheelchairs or have other physical disabilities that have come to watch Lockie because they find it obviously very inspiring because it is very inspiring. Yeah, and let's talk about Lockie mm -hmm. a little bit then. Um, talk me through kind of your history with him because I know you're, yep. you're quite good friends yep. and you kind of work together quite a lot. And I, I'm curious to know whether for him, when he had his injury, mm -hmm. he was sort of like, this is it now. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to be able to be a performer or mm -hmm. be involved. Mm -hmm. Or was he always like... I'm going to continue mm -hmm. doing this. And have you, you know, two-pronged question, I suppose. Did you find that you kind of had to encourage uh, him to be involved in the show? Or was he really just keen from the get-go? Yeah, no, he was, he was very keen from the get-go. Um, I know that just from doing the show, I mean, I knew, Lockie and I met about four or five years ago. We both got hired to do a show at, at Adelaide called William the Great. And I knew who Lockie was, but I'd never really met him before. And we became friends that year. But through doing the show... Um, obviously I've learned so much about him and his injury and that. And I know that um, when he first broke his neck for about six years after that, he didn't do any sort of circus or performing. But then after that, he got back into it um, and he's been performing, you know, ever since. Um, and I love physically working with him because it's very different from the, like what I was taught, like what your weight distribution and things like that, because you're sitting in his wheelchair because he's sitting in the wheelchair. Things are a bit different, but no, he's been super on board to, 
to do the show and be in it and tell his story and be very proud about himself and his life. And obviously being a, a four-person cast, I know mm-hmm. there's moments when people do sort of individual pieces mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. show, um, but talk to me about some of the work that you do together and how mm-hmm. you kind of interact mm-hmm. with each mm-hmm. other. Well, I personally, my favourite type of performing is any sort of ensemble work. I love the uh, interactions with people on stage and just the different kind of element that having more than one person on stage brings. Um, but yeah, no, we were very lucky. We kind of, Megan and I have been working together for a few months. We, we met in June in America, so we've been training together. And um, Jack, actually, I'd never worked with him before, but everyone kind of just moulded really nicely together and all of the skills and all of the group stuff really kind of naturally came about so we were very lucky in that regard and there's obviously quite a few people uh, behind the scenes mm-hmm. I suppose that mm-hmm. have worked on the show but the one person I kind of want to mention because it plays such an integral part to the show is, mm-hmm. is the music yes so talk to me about about <laughs> that kind of constant thread that we have in and, and the wonderful person yes. that's created that Hugh B Hugh Bladel he is a wonderful um well, he's a circus performer and an acrobat, but he's also an unbelievable musician. So he was in the first version of FML, um, and he wrote the entire soundtrack to the show. Um, and I mean, I've never seen anything like it. It was amazing. We sat down and kind of went through all of the different acts that we wanted in the show and the kind of general tone that we wanted each song to be. And in like a week, he just wrote this entire album. So, uh, I mean, the show would be much worse without his wonderful wonderful music because we just have a thread like a constant thread and a constant tone and I think it's beautiful yeah it's really great it's really interesting but I wonder did you when you were first creating the show did you know you wanted to have that bespoke music written in line with everything that was happening or was there a point when you were like oh we'll just do our bits to our songs it kind of I think it kind of fell into place I mean Hugo was when we first first kind of came up with the concept of the show Hugo was definitely one of the first people I had in mind to be in it but I didn't think as much from a music sense um, because his clowny and his acrobatics and everything he's just a wonderful performer and then we started like playing around and writing the show and he just kind of started making these songs and especially the intro when we talk when we like do the we call it avalanche like the fuck my life moments where we've got a lot of different things uh, spoken over the top of each other and he just yeah created this one song and then kind of just went from there and then it just turned into this amazing album soundtrack thing and i know the show is in gluttony mm-hmm. talk to me about your experience being in that garden yes for want of a better term because it's next door to a garden it is that is true (laughs) no gluttony's great this is my fifth year um doing a show in gluttony second time producing a show but i've been there for five years and i mean it has grown an unbelievable amount in the last five years since i've been there but no it's great everyone that works there is wonderful they're so accommodating they're so gracious with their time and yeah they really are unbelievable there and it's i know that there's been newspaper articles and stuff going mm. on and it kind of feels like it always happens every year when there's this mix of the super loop 500 making all the noise mm. and I know last year I saw some circus shows but you know there was so much noise bleed mm-hmm. uh, in those tents but what I feel was really nice about your space your venue your tent was it was kind of a brand new space mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. really felt like it was built with shows in mind yeah it was really it's a ended up being a really lovely venue um i liked it because it could seat 180 but 
it was designed in such a way that even a smaller audience felt really good and it was nice and close and it fairly good. But we were very lucky this year with the, um, the clips or the car racing. It finished before our show started. Yeah. So we were fine from a noise bleed sense. But. Cool. And I wonder what other sort of lessons, I suppose, have you sort of taken away from your time in Adelaide? What, what things have you learned and discovered? Oh, I mean, from a producing sense, I still feel like I have an unbelievable amount to, to learn. But from the two years that I've done it, I think one of the biggest things I have learned is like uh, collaborating with people and, you know, asking for help from the people that really genuinely know what they're doing and not kind of just sitting in the background guessing. So, yeah, asking for help is something that I've really learned is good. And I know you've obviously attended loads of festivals, mm -hmm. you've performed at loads of festivals. What, what is uh, some of the things that you, you love about the Adelaide Fringe? Well, I mean, first and foremost, all of my friends are there. The whole of the Australian circus community and people from overseas is in, are in one place at one time and that just never really happens. So there's that. And then, I mean, just the diversity of the shows and everything that's there. I mean, I always tell people that one of my favorite things about being in the circus world is that it's all about being different. And I think that's wonderful. And like being different is celebrated and trying to celebrate it. And you're allowed to kind of fail a little bit. And that's what I just think is so wonderful. It's a very safe space. I want to talk about Nike. Mm -hmm. I, want, I know that we, I know we have listeners who are performers. And mm -hmm. I also know we have listeners who are quite young and maybe considering it. So I think it'd be really interesting to speak about Nike, but before then, mm -hmm. uh, a final sort of point on FML. What's the future looking like for it? What are some of your plans? Well, I'd really love to take it on tour. Um, we'd love to do Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, we just really need to sort out, you know, it's not a particularly wheelchair-friendly city just because it is so old and so hilly and so cobbly and all of that, but that is definitely something that I would love to do. But I think we'll definitely be back in Adelaide next year. Uh, and a final thing on, on FML, talk mm -hmm. to me about, uh, I know you work with a director. Mm -hmm, this year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we had the wonderful Paul Debeck who directed the show um, and he was brilliant and he brought in some incredible things into it. Um, and I think I can speak for myself and the rest of the cast when I say that he really did a wonderful job. And I think because he is not from the circus world, he comes into a circus show with really fresh ideas and really new like a new way of looking at things that is not from a skill sense because I think sometimes as like acrobats we could get our pride gets in the way of like wanting to put in our best skills or our, the hardest tricks or whatever and he was really good at kind of looking at it from a different way so I mean one, one of the things that Paul's so good at and I think most other performers will be quite envious of is the way he can have an instant rapport and a connection oh, with yeah. an audience is that the kind of thing he was working with you on yeah yeah I mean he worked a lot with Jack on that because Jack had quite a bit of um interaction with the audience a lot more than like the rest of us did but I mean he just had a fresh fresh eyes at things you know we were we kind of worked with Adam for a couple of weeks and we had bones of things and we had some some stuff made but he just really brought in a, a completely different take on everything and then I suppose final final addition then is obviously you work with quite a uh established sort of lights and sound mm -hmm. guys to make oh, this real mm -hmm. huge production behind yes. the show. Yes, the one from Tom Kitney came and he did our lighting design for the show and he's just brilliant and I think it just really tied the whole show together and it looks wonderful. And I kind of wonder the things that sort of Paul and Tom would add to the show, are those things that you, you kind of know you want but almost don't know how to go about sort of getting it or is mm -hmm. it a case of 
you want the show sexed up for want of a better yeah, term yeah. and those are the right guys to do it yeah I think yes to both of those questions I mean I know that I mean lighting can make or break a show in my opinion and this is what I mean about collaboration it's like I, I would never be able to speak to a, a lighting designer and be like this you know do these things I can say to Tom this sort of feel and then he can just bring it to life and like it's the same with Paul you know we 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 had these scenes kind of set and then he really had a way of like spinning them to like bring them to life really so super and then let's talk about your t- life leading up mm-hmm. to writing FML yep. and that show um you studied at NICA how is that for you kind of and for people that maybe don't know how how NICA works mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um What's the sort of structure in life like there? So NICA is a three-year bachelor degree. So I actually have a Bachelor of Circus Arts, which I love to say to people. Um, yeah, so it's 40 hours a week of full-time study. So that's both physical training and we had some written subjects, um, like business and anatomy and things that were all kind of relevant to circus and all of that. Um, yeah, so I grew up dancing. Never wanted to be a professional dancer, but it was like my big hobby. And I kind of knew I always wanted to be a performer because my dad was a comedian magician from my whole life. And so I was kind of always in that world. And one of my dance teachers was also a circus performer. So when I was in my 20s, I kind of started late. When I was in my 20s, I saw one of her circus shows and I was like, that is what I want to do. And then I found out about Nika and then I trained and then I auditioned and then I got in. And then I went. And what kind of things were you looking at your audition then, I suppose? But what kind of things were you doing at that point? So, in the actual audition, so I uh, trained on silks to audition, which is like the piece of material that hangs from the ceiling for people that don't know. So I trained on that and then got in as an aerialist. And then once you start NICA, you spend the first six months... um, Try, they call it specialty shopping. So you like try out a bunch of different, any circus thing you could possibly imagine you can try. And then you choose two specialties, or kind of like two majors. And I did not choose aerials at the end. I ended up doing handstands and a specialty called hand to hand, which is like a partner acrobatic specialty. And um, your stuff you do on poles, does that come in to the handstand speciality or is that a different? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. So they're called handstand canes. So like a big metal rod with like wooden blocks on the top. And you had some on those. And it's very good when you do it. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> um, and let's talk about your dad then. For yes, a bit, okay, I let's know do it. He's got such a, his sort of biography I think is very interesting yeah. because people may be wondering with your accent where you're from. Yes. I think you're Australian, but I know obviously there's this American twang. twang yes. And that's kind of all to do with, with where your mm-hmm. dad, what your dad was doing mm-hmm. and, and when he moved and why he moved. Yes, so um, I was born in LA, I was born in America and I lived there until I was eight and then my family moved us out to Australia. So my dad was a magician, well, is a magician, but was a magician working at the castle amongst a lot of other things. Um, and when I was quite young, he came out to Australia to do some work and my parents kind of decided that that's where they wanted to live. And the government more or less said if you open a magic school your family can have permanent residency and so he did and then we moved to Australia and how did you find that move have you kind of always embraced and loved Australia or is there part of you that missed being out in the states I do love Australia I I'm very glad that my parents moved us out and I think I'm very glad that I grew up here but it's nice to have dual citizenship so (laughs) that's good and having a 
a dad who is a, a magician. Yes. Was there ever a part of you that thought you might want to learn learn magic tricks? N- now I wish that I had because I can remember him having magic schools and always wanting to teach me magic. And me at twelve was like, no, I don't want to learn magic. And I regret that a little bit, but it's never too late, is it? It's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late. <laughs> I'll, I'll teach you a classic <laughs> course. Um, do you think kind of your dad being a magician mm-hmm. and that performer, is that kind of part of the reason that sort of also attracted you to the world of circus as well? I think so. Yeah, I think just being in that kind of, you know, I was very lucky to be brought up in a household that was, you know, would embrace kind of essentially anything you wanted to do. You know, my parents were not forceful of me about school and you know grades and all of that they were much more about like things that I was interested in and things that make me happy and so I think from that it kind of like led me down that that sort of path and obviously you know a plan that a tour would be great certainly a return to Adelaide and hopefully a way to kind of make the Edinburgh Fringe work mm-hmm. a, a mm-hmm. free kind of goals that have come yes. to mind talking yes. to you but what kind of else would you like to achieve with with your circus and with your with your career um i would love to be uh, i would love to one day be in a big touring company for a little bit um i don't know how long i would like to do that for but it's definitely something that i'd like to tick off tick off the list i love big ensemble big ensemble acrobatic shows and things like that so that's another thing i'd like to do so a long list of things you want to achieve and do but there's something that i want to do with you maggie Payne, <laughs> okay. and that is play a very popular game <laughs> on this podcast because we mentioned Paul Debeck. We did. And as your director. Mm-hmm. But before then, for the listener, can you confirm your relationship with Paul Debeck? He is also my boyfriend. Yes. And when did you first meet Paul Debeck? We met in good old Adelaide Fringe Festival. Um, we met a few years ago now. Um, I... Yes, my dad was a magician and my boyfriend is a magician. And I was at Adelaide Fringe Festival and I had no idea who Paul was. No offence, Paul. Um, but I saw that there was a magic show on and so I convinced all of my friends to go. And that is technically how we met. He pulled me up on stage during his show. Smarmy bastard. I know. But, as I mentioned, Maggie, there's a fun game that we have played with Paul Debeck on this podcast. And we will play it with you now. It's time <laughs> to return to Dabek. Or do back. Dabek or do back. So, Maggie Fame, we have some facts, mm-hmm. some statements about either your boyfriend, mm-hmm. magician, mm-hmm. Paul Dabek, yeah. or Strictly Come Dancing's <laughs> housewife favourite, Anton Dubeck. Okay. <laughs> All you have to do is say which is which, okay. and you do win a prize for each when you get correct. Ooh, okay. All right. So... Number one, Mm -hmm. I released my first album in November 2017. Oh, that's really hard. I want to say Dubeck, but it could be Paul Dubeck with the I Hate Children Children's Show album. I'm going to say Paul Dubeck. Paul Dubeck? Yeah. I'm afraid it is Anton (laughs) Dubeck. Um, but that does leave me, you did mention the I Hate Children's Children's Show. Yes, they have an album. So in my defense, they do have an album for that. And that's also a show that you were involved in. Talk to me about it that. It was. I was in the, the, the second um, version of the I Hate Children Children show, which is a wonderful family show that Paul DeBeck does. Who, he owns the show with Paul Nathan. And there's a wonderful musician, Marty Haley. And Paul and Marty wrote this great album, the I Hate Children Children show album. Um, and then we turned it into a, a, a rock concert for kids. 
So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was sex, drugs, and sausage. Not no. sex, drugs, and sausage. <laughs> um, it, was, it was pet slugs and rock and roll. Pet slugs and rock and mm-hmm. roll. And that played here and, and did very well. It did did that well. win um, some awards? Uh, the original version of the I Hate Children Children show won Best Kids Show at Adelaide Fringe because it's wonderful. Super. Well, you're currently <laughs> nil losing. losing, Maggie. Right, so okay. let's see if you can get better with this next. Is this Anton Dubeck or Paul Dabeck? <laughs> I once cried when a set of twins entered a rehearsal room because I was so surprised and overwhelmed to see them. (laughs) That's a quote from one of them? No, that, yeah, Yeah, that happened in one of them. Paul Debeck? (laughs) You're not doing very well at this, Maggie. (laughs) Well, you're, it could have been you guys, the twins. I thought maybe he was so excited to see you guys as the twins that he cried when you came in. It would have been nice. It would have been nice. Um, but that's Anton Dubeck's oh, twin children. Oh, that makes more sense. That he has a girl and a boy. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. Shit. I might have to give you a slightly easier one. Please do. <laughs> Dubeck or Dubeck? I was born... In, so is this uh, Anton Dubeck or Paul Dubeck? Okay, I should get this one. I was born in Seven Oaks in England. Dubeck. That's not Paul Dubeck, that's Dubeck. That is Anton Dubeck. Yes! <laughs> so that's one treat that you get now. Yes! Okay, we've got some two quotes now. One, the, to begin with, this could be Anton Dubeck or it could be Paul Dubeck. Okay. Anton Dubeck. Paul Dubeck. I said them the you wrong said way them around. The wrong way around. <laughs> Dabek or Dubeck. Great. As highly polished as his black patent leather shoes. That's Paul Dubeck for sure. Right? <laughs> it is Paul Dubeck. Yes. <laughs> and that was a view, view from Glam Adelaide. <laughs> so there we are, Mags. You are now... 2-2. Two, 2-2. Two. Two, two. So your final one. Okay. Prepare to be swept off your feet. Is that a quote about Paul Dubeck or Anton oh, Dubeck? That's a oh, that's a really hard one. Because swept off your feet could be like dance related. I'm thinking. I uh, I think that's a a, a Anton Dubeck one. It is an Anton yes! Dubeck. <laughs> Because Paul Debeck, the only person Paul's ever swept <laughs> off his feet is you, Aww. for some reason. Well, there we go. That is our way to end Yay. this week's episode of Talking Tricks with the return of Dabek or Dubeck. And we will put out a public invitation to Anton Dubeck to please come yes. on this podcast so that we can play this game. Maggie, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Talking Tricks with Cade and Abel. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast.